This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. First of all, shkaych everybody for coming. Yeah. Thank you everybody for coming, and I know that this is not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do, but I appreciate everybody taking the time to be able to do this, and this is... uh, it's a pretty awesome thing to do, you know, just uh, have a chumash here in this type of a situation. So here we go. Parsh by Yaakov Akudi in 5780. The Pusik that we're going to be concentrating is Parak Lamites Pusik Mem Gimel. The Parak Lamites Pusik Mem Gimel says, We're dealing with the Mishkan. We're dealing with what happened in the Mishkan itself. And it says that Moshe Abinu saw all of the work that was done. They did it as Hashem had commanded Moshe to do. That's what they did. By Baruchos Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a bracha. Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a bracha right there. Now is that. Now this Pasuk appears in a very similar way, not just here in Parshish Bekude, Bekude, but it also appears later on in Parshish Shmini when they finished all their work. When everything was finished, they did this as well. Rav Schwab asks, just a simple question, the Pasuk in front of this, the Pasuk right before this, is a very similar Pasuk. It seems like the same thing. They finished their work and they did it, but it doesn't say, it, it also says Kenasu, but it doesn't say that Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a bracha. Why over here, by this Pasuk, does it say that he gave them a bracha? What's the difference between over there and over here? And he says the following. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure if B'nai Israel were in it for themselves, or if they were doing it l'shem shemayim. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say anything to them when he first saw that the work was done. The fact is, it was done, okay, but I don't know what they were doing it for. Were they doing it for the right reasons? Were they doing it for the wrong reasons? He had no idea. In this Pasuk, a Kaddish Baruch Hu was made, a Kaddish Baruch Hu testifies. They did it, Kasher Tziva Hashem is Moshe. They did it the way that a Kaddish Baruch Hu commanded Moshe, and they did it L'Shem Shemayim. They must be Roy to receive the brachas they received. Once he heard those words, Kasher Tziva Hashem is Moshe, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu admits, yes, they did it properly, then he could give them a bracha. So what bracha did he give them? What bracha would you give? What's the bracha that you would give in this situation? So Rashi says the bracha that he gave was twofold. First, he said to them, whatever it is, may a beer will like Kaddish Baruch Hu, that the Shechina should rest upon your handiwork. May it be Hashem's will that all the things you've done, that the Shechina should be there for it. And he finished off by saying the famous Pasuk that we know at the end of Tehillim, Perek Tzadi, that the pleasantness of a Kaddish Baruch Hu should be upon us, the pleasantness of Kaddish Baruch Hu should be upon us and over there. And Rashi ends off and says, this is one of the 11 Mizmorim, one of the 11 I, I guess you say almost Mizmon prayers that Moshe Rabbeinu did that starts with Tefillah Lamosha and ends with Mizmor Lasoda. He did all these 11, which we say every Shabbos in our Pesukah de Zimra. We say all of them in some point. Some of them are Kabbalah Shabbos, some of them whatever. Mizmor Lasoda, obviously we do during the week. But Moshe Rabbeinu said all of them from Tzadi up until Kuf, those 11 Mizmorim, this is one of them, the end of Perak Tzadi. Sifse Chachamim says Rashi was wondering what this bracha could be. He couldn't understand it. He answers the Yiratzon and Yinoam, but he couldn't understand it. Normally, the bracha that he would give would be Birchas Kohanim. That's the bracha that's given later on by Aaron after they finish the work. He comes down from doing the Avodah for the very first time on Yom Hashmini and Rosh Kodesh Nisan. And he gives them Birchas Kohanim. So maybe Moshe Rabbeinu did that, but it seems weird. Moshe Rabbeinu is not a Kohen, even though he's a Kohen, but he's not a real Kohen. So it seems weird that that's the bracha that he would give him over here. Why would that be it? So Rashi tells us it wasn't that. It was Vihinoam, it was Yiratzon, it was something that he added on for him. That's what he ended up giving him. Or Achayim Akadush says this bracha is not something that should be taken lightly. If Moshe Rabbeinu gave it, and this is the bracha he gave Klai Yisrael, the same way we look at Vizu 
Yosef Bracha. And we see the brachos that he gave to Klai Yisrael. Each one is an Evuah in and of itself. And it's awesome because each one represents something that's going to happen to each one of those Shvatim at, later, at a later on point. Then this Bracha as well has to be treated the exact same way. You have to think of it as this is an amazing Bracha that Moshe Rabbeinu give us that must be that it's something that's amazing. And maybe this Bracha is the reason why the Mishkan was never destroyed. It's true. The Mishkan was never destroyed. Although Mishkan Shiloh, the building was taken down, although the Arun was captured by the Pelishtim in the war with Chafni and Pinchas when they took him and they ended up bringing even now that's true. But the Mishkan's Kalim were never destroyed. The Aron Kodesh, the Mizbeach and the Mizbeach Hazov, the Shulchan, the Menorah were never destroyed. Some of it was kept in hiding for a very long time, others whatever, but they were never destroyed. That's a mile. And maybe, says the Orachim HaKadosh, it comes from Moshe Rabbeinu's Tfilah. The Moshe Rabbeinu said, That's the reason why it still exists and was never fully destroyed. Tfer Shlomo says every time the word Vayar is used, like you have over here, Vayar Moshe's Every single time it says there's a special amount of Shefa that's coming down from Shemayim. The Vayar is, it can be used to take it into a bracha. When a Kurdish bar who sees that Bnei Sor were in pain while they were slaves in Egypt, the Geula began. He saw what was happening to them. He came down to see what was happening to them. It can happen the opposite way also. Chas v'shalom, it could be that a Kurdish bar who comes down to see what's happening by the Mabel and decides to destroy them because of it. Vayar is the big thing over here. Moshe Rabbeinu saw that the Malacha was finished, that the work that he had done was finished. He saw it. He was able to see it with his very, very eyes. Once he saw it, he gave a bracha that the Shekhinah should come down and finish it off for them. That's exactly what should happen in this case. Even though the whole Mishkan was made with Kavanos and Yehudim and special Shemus of HaKadosh Baruch that allowed them to have everything, Moshe was able to see it and see within it. He was able to bring something to it to bring Ha'ara into every single one of them. That's how the Tferis Shlomo, the Radomsker, understands what happened by the Mishkan and how we understand what can happen by anything that Moshe Rabbeinu gave a bracha to. Tzapnas Paneach. This is the Regina Rebbe, uh, the Rugged Shepherd, I'm sorry, the Rugged Shepherd Rebbe says that this was the Shira of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Levi. And according to the Gemara in Arachin Yud Aleph and Aleph, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was a Mishorer, not a Mishuar, a gatekeeper. He was a Mishorer, a singer. He was one of the Levim who sang in the Mishkan itself, sang later on in the base of Mikdash, had the base of Mikdash been around. He was a Mishorer. Based on that, the Bnei Kos, by the way, were all singing, etc. He composed and wrote this song in honor of this day. This was a song that he sang, says the Tzapnas Paneach. Not just some words. He sang it as a song, and it really was a bracha that would be successful. But it was the first shira that was sung in the Beisamik, in the Mishkan, right, in honor of what had happened over there, which is an unreal line. The Gan Rava asked, if these are Moshe Rabbeinu's words, why aren't they in the Torah? What happened to them? Why wouldn't you put this in the Torah? If he came up with words, and it's such an important pasuk that it's the first song that's sung in the Mishkan itself, wouldn't you want to put that in the Torah? It should say, by Yavarach Osam Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu blessed them by saying these words, Why wouldn't you write it in the Torah? So he answers that there's a little bit of a difference. And I, the honest truth is, I just spoke about this in a Navi Shur on Wednesday night last night, but it's the same idea. Medrash Tehillim answers from Rabbi Levi in the name of Rabbi Hanina. These are the words of Nevuah, not the words of the Torah. There's a difference between Ksuvim and Nevi'im. The Ksuvim were written in such a way in which it was given over to the person through Ruach HaKodesh to say it, but it's not a Nevuah. 
Shlomo Melech may never have been a Navi. There's Machlux, okay, whatever. But Shlomo Melech said over Mishle and Shir Hashem and Koalas because he was awesome. David Melech wrote Tehillim because he was awesome. But according to this opinion, the, everything written in Tehillim and everything written in Ksuvim and all of Ksuvim, whether it's Rus, Shir Hashem, Esther, Koalas, etc., everything there was written with Ruach HaKodesh, but not Nevuah. The Nevi'im, that was written with actual Nevuah. There was actual Nevuah put inside there. That was something different. But that's still different from the Torah. It has to be considered different from the Torah. The Torah itself is written in such a form of Nevuah, such an awesome form of Nevuah, in such a way that it seems to be, and who knows, it, how do we understand? It's the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the words of Moshe Rabbeinu itself. Which means that Vihinoam is Moshe Rabbeinu coming up with words of Kiddushah through Ruach HaKadosh. He was a Navi, and he came up with awesome words, and it made it into Tehillim. But that's not the words of Torah. The words of Torah are only and only the words that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him. And even if Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest genius in the world and thought of the greatest philos in the world, and Vihinoam is the greatest, it's the greatest for it to fit into Ksuvim. That's not enough to be able to put in the Torah itself. And that's an amazing thought. An amazing thought to think is an awesome tefillah, but it's still not enough. It's still as if there's something missing over here. But weren't they promised this already? Right in the beginning of Parsha's Truma, it says, And it will dwell among them. They were given a bracha, that they should have the Shekhinah rest inside there. So why would they need a bracha from make that, to make that happen? Why would Moshe Rabbeinu then bless them twice? Twice. You hear it's on Shetishra Shekhinah. Number one, the Shekhinah should rest. And number two, That he should be upon us. Why do you need that bracha when it's already promised? Sefer HaChassidim asked that question, Rabbi Yudah HaChassid and Tav Tav Reishchaf, and he answered that Moshe was afraid that they had sinned and didn't deserve it anymore. That granted, they were told that Shrina was going to be with them, but maybe they said maybe they didn't deserve it. But Rav Schwab says there are different levels, and listen to this, Rav Schwab, based on Brachos, Vavam and Aleph, sitting and learning by yourself, like most of us are doing right now, still gets the Shrina. But if you learn with two people, there's a greater level of the Shekhinah. You learn with three people, greater level of the Shekhinah. Learn with ten people, greater level of the Shekhinah. Learn with a hundred people, greater level of the Shekhinah. So it's true, says Rav Schwab, the Shekhinah, I'll be there. That's true. What Moshe Rabbeinu is asking is, no, I want the Shekhinah to be there as if it's all 600,000 people, all three million people, Klal Yisrael, deserving the Shekhinah together. It shouldn't be an individualized Shekhinah upon some of them. It should be a, no, a Klal I, I guess the idea of the Shekhinah being upon them. The Shekhinah should be upon all of them. That's what it should be. Moshe Rabbeinu Davent, that they should have an Anan, they should have an Eish, that's something that they could see with their own eyes, where they could look at and they could say, oh, this is amazing. Look at what we're able to do. Look at the amazing things we're able to do. That's what he asked for. Ayelis Shaka of Steinman brings down, he wasn't promised any certain level, but he certainly included it with the bracha that an Eish should come down and give them what they needed. The Ramban says, refers to the Anan surrounding the top of the Mishkan, but that is exactly what happened. An Aish came down from Shemayim eventually, granted, it didn't happen at first because of what happened with Nadav and Avihu, etc. But the Aish came down from Shemayim, and then an Anan surrounded the Olmoid. That only came, he says, because of Moshe Rabbeinu's tefillah. Now, granted, the Shechina would have been there, but it would have been invisible. Those who knew would see it. Those who didn't know wouldn't see it. It's like us in our shoals nowadays. Where the Shekhinah is there, we just might not notice it. We're by a sick person. The Shekhinah is there, we just might not notice it. Here, it was manifest. You could see it right there in front of them. Tosefes Bracha gives another answer. He says the Moshe was worried knowing that in the future, right, there would be a Shamir worm that was going to be used to make so many of the things that they needed for the Mishkan. They didn't know how to make it without 
metal, without knives. So they needed a shamir worm to be able to go through. Moshe was worried, is since this was done entirely through the Mycia dime of the people, they used their hands to do it. Maybe they weren't zokar to the that they would need in order to get the shamir worm. Maybe it wouldn't be done through Akadosh Baruch Hu. Maybe it would be something different. So he said, Mycia denu karnalinu. May the Shekhinah be with us for all of this, even without the miraculous shamir. Even if we can't get the miraculous shamir, that's what he was asking for, and that's what he ended up getting. Rebel Yashiv says Moshe Rabbeinu was worried that the people would want to decorate the Mishkan according to what they remembered in Egypt. Can you imagine this? Rebel Yashiv says the people remembered all. Oh, remember the decorative line? We had all those hieroglyphics, all those awesome things over there. Why don't we just have that? Rebel Yashiv says that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was worried about. Moshe Rabbeinu was worried and he said maybe they're going to think that way. Maybe they're going to make the entire Mishkan that way. They're going to have those thoughts behind it. They're going to have mummies, pyramids, whatever, or the thought process that they have behind it. For that reason, he said, Bihi Noam. Let it be the beauty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Don't let it be the beauty of any other nation. And if we do that, people will recognize the difference, he says, between them and nowhere to run when they need help. That's Konina Aleinu. Allow it to be upon us so that Koninehu, we give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu everything we could possibly need. Then it's says the bracha toward the future and not even for right now. They knew this mission was going to be temporary. They knew that it would eventually lead to the permanent structure known as the base of Mikdash itself. So they said, Konin Aleinu, let's be allow, allow it to be upon us now so that eventually we can build it. Konin Aleinu now, so that Koninehu, because it's not about the Mishkan. I think that's exactly the process that happened by the second base of Mikdash. By the second base of Mikdash, when they built it, they knew it wasn't the final one. Yechezko had already told them that there was going to be a third base of Mikdash. They didn't know it was the third. They thought it was the second one. And they said it was 3,500 by 3,500 almost. It's huge, by the way. 3,500 by 3,500. If that's Chazonish, that's like, think about that. That's 7,000 7, feet. That's a mile and a half. A mile and a half by a mile and a half. That's how big the base of Mikdash is going to be. That's what Yechezko said. And then Chagai came along. You know what Chagai said? He said, wait, wait. Don't build it. We've got to build a different base of Mikdash. And they knew. They cried when that base of Mikdash was made. They cried. Because they sat there and they said, something's wrong. We're missing something. The second base of Mikdash was missing something huge. It was missing that Shekhinah. And they cried when it was first built. Because they knew they were missing that third one. And they didn't know what to do about it. They had no idea what to do with themselves about it. That's how I think you can understand that idea of the Nitziv itself. The Rabbeinu Bechayi says, refers to the Birchas, Birchas Kohan and the Aaron HaKohen was going to give them later, but that's a different story. The Be'er Basada says there's two parts to this Pasuk. The first part was Moshe Rabbeinu davening that their Mishkan should be able to stand. Because we know later on, remember this was made, it was put together on Chafei Kislev, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan is when the Mishkan was first put together. It seems like, says the Be'er Basada, it seems like they weren't sure what to do. They weren't sure what was going to happen. So when they tried putting it up together, he davened that HaKadosh Baruch who should be with them, said the Mishkan actually stands and doesn't fall over. The second part was about the Mishkan above. The Be'er Basada says, we forget this. Everything we do corresponds to something in Shemayim. And there's crazy awesome things going on in Shemayim. Sometimes we realize it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we can see it with our eyes, sometimes we don't. The base of Mikdash down here corresponds to a base of Mikdash up in the heavens, says the Verbasada, based on the Gemara. And there's a Michoel who's serving as the Kohen Gadol up above, serving the Nishamos of the Tzadikim on the Mizbeach up there in Shemayim, whatever that means. Whatever that means. And the Gemara Chagiga mentioned it on Yodalit, but there's an amazing, amazing line. That means that everything we do down here really corresponds to up above. So the bracha of Moshe Rabbeinu was not on the Mishkan down here, which he was promised. Says Rebbe Sada, it refers to the base of 
Mikdash above, that everything should go right, everything should be in the right way. Because if it's not, then chas v'shalom, there's going to be a disconnect between the two, and that causes a churban. That causes the destruction itself. Miam Loez says he was worried about the sins of the generation and what the people were going through, that the people didn't fully understand, the people weren't fully into it. That's what he was worried about, and he was worried maybe something else would happen. The Kliyakar asks how this Pusik connects to the Mishkan being built. It seems weird, because vihi noam Hashem look at Tzadi, Perak Tzadi in Tehillim. What does that Pusik have anything to do with the Beis HaMikdash being built? We say it every Shabbos, and it ends with That's talking about the Mishkan? Says the Kliyakar, where does that talk about the Mishkan? What does it have anything to do with the Mishkan itself? It's sort of like Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis David. When David Amelech knew that he was going to, his son was going to build the base of Mikdash, Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis David. If you want to show me one word in Mizmor Shir that talks about the base of Mikdash, don't show me any words there that talk about the Bita, aside from Mizmar Shechanuk Sabayas. This one is a strange one. So the Kliyakaras, and the Rabbin of says, it starts off with Tfil Moshe, so clearly he made it for this. That's not enough. Says the Kliyakar, that's not enough. So what is it? So he says, toward the beginning of the Mizmor in Tzadi, he says the following words, Hashem Me'on Ata. Hashem Me'on Ata. Hashem, you have an abode. You have a place to live. That refers to the Mishkan, which eventually became the base of Mikdash. HaKadosh Baruch has a place to go. A place. He has a place that he can go to. Now we know that it's impossible, because obviously HaKadosh Baruch is everywhere. So why do we say it as if HaKadosh Baruch is a place? And really, that's a kasha altogether. Why in the world, the Kliyakar says, are we building a Mishkan? This is silly. We need the Shechina to have a place. The Shechina is everywhere. HaKadosh Baruch is part of everything. HaKadosh Baruch is part of this table. HaKadosh Baruch is part of this chair. HaKadosh Baruch is part of me. You need a place for the Shechina to rest? How could be the Mishkan be an area for the Shechina? How is that possible? The answer is simple. We need it to be machaper for the sins of the Ego Azov. We need it for ourselves for everything that happens by us. The wording in the Pasuk is Toshev Enosh Adaka. He dwells among the people so that Batomer Shuvu B'nei Adam. They'll have a machila for Maisa Ego by doing Shuvu. It's all hinted to in the Mizmor. That the purpose of the Mishkan was not for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have a place to go. It's a place that we think HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, so that we can dive into Him, feel His presence even greater, and allow ourselves to do tshuva. It's for us, not for Him. If the world went back to Tova Vo when they did the Ego, their sin almost caused them to be destroyed. This tshuva that they did allowed the world to go up again, it represents the creation of everything. That's Daka, and he goes on. The Kliyakar goes on for what it's supposed to be. I'm sorry, I just have to mute somebody on the line. Okay, that's that. As for the actual words of the Hinoam, the actual words, what we're asking for is the pleasantness of the Shechini to be upon us. The actual Noam of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the pleasantness of everything to be right upon us. And that can happen when we build this structure allowing for Maisia Denu to allow us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu to work together in some way. For us to be together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, building what we know of as being the awesome Mishkan, which eventually will lead to that third base of Mikdash. That's where we're at. Okay. Then we have another Kasha. What's the Kenasu? So they did it. So they did it. What do we need those words for? The Orachayim HaKadosh says, it's not just that they did it. We have to understand this. These are, I don't want to say a primitive people. This is a slave nation. They've always been a slave nation. This is a nation that were slaves in Mitzrayim for the last 210 years. You want to call it 86 years. We can call it 86 years. They were slaves for all that time. 
And now they're trying to somehow get themselves back, do something more. They're trying to do something. They're trying to build a Mishkan. This is a ridiculous thing to ask them to do. It's something that, simply put, is too much. It's too much. How are you going to do You have a 13-year-old as your main architect. You have Bitsalo doing everything. Says the Orachim HaKadosh, how could they have done it? But not only did they do it, they finished it perfectly. And they finished it before the Zman. They had to finish it before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. They finished it by Chaf Hei Kislev. I want you to think about that. They gathered everything together only two and a half months earlier. They did it by Tishrei, right after Yom Kippur, right? So they have the end of Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev. They had two and a half months and they made everything perfectly. Now, granted, there might have been Siat Edishmaya throwing the gold in and all of a sudden a menorah comes out. The Aron Kodesh involved over here. Maybe that's involved over here. But think about that for a second. Says the Orachim HaKadosh, Kenasu, it should sit there, you should look at it and be like, Kenasu, that's what the people did. How in the world did they do that? That's what you should say over here. They had finished everything properly. They did everything they were supposed to do. Maybe there were even details that they couldn't know about. And not yet they did it. Chibu mitzvah allowed them to do it perfectly and that's that. The Chsam Sofer says in three places that I saw, Torah's motion is Drushos as well as a Sefer in, in um, Nidarim. In Nidarim, in three different places that I saw, he says that Malacha means actual work. There's Malacha. There refers to actual work. What we would call the Avodas Maisius of the Mishkan itself. The actual physical handiwork that they have to do. Avoda refers to the Kavanos behind it the intentions they had behind the other thing while they brought their donations. That is why tefillah can be called avoda shebelev. Because really, avoda is not about the physical exertion. Avoda is about the mental preparation that you put into anything, anything you do there. When Moshe Benu saw them bringing their donations, he wasn't sure what their intentions were. Again, he took the donations, he hoped that they were donating in the right way, but he had no idea if it was Hashem Shemayim for some other reason entirely. He had absolutely no idea. When he saw the Malacha being finished so quickly, and he saw that everything was good with zero mistakes, he realized what their Kavanos were. Kena Su, this is what they did, he saw. He saw how well they did it in the first place. It's like a shli- that makes zero mistakes. A shliach tzibor gets up there and he tries his hardest to make sure that everything is done in the best possible way. He makes zero mistakes while davening for everyone. We know his tefillos have been accepted above. We know that's going to happen. That's where Hanina Bendosa. Why did Rabbi Hanina Bendosa and the Gemara and Brachos, Daf Lamedalit, how did he know that his tefillos were accepted? Simply put, no mistakes. His mouth went clearly when Moshe Benu saw that. He quickly gave them a bracha. You guys are special. He said, that's unbelievable. Rav Hirsch says an idea like this. That's how the Chassam Sofer understands it. It's like that. The Tzrora Mor says, the spirit of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Ruach of Hashem, rested upon their hands and filled them with the desire to do great things. It's more than just them doing it on their own. There was a Ruach HaKadosh that was with them the whole time. The Karni Re'im quotes a Medrash that says that there were Malachim with them every step of the way. Whenever their hands wanted to do something else, a malach held them. If anybody's ever seen Angels in the Outfield, and I know I'm dating myself, but that's an old, I think it's an 80s braided G movie, right? But Angels in the Outfield. That's exactly what it is. There's a malach holding, Lahavdil. It's called Lahavdil, right? Here he held every single thing and allowed it to be done, allowed it to be done, so that they were doing it perfectly, not because of them, but because of everything going on around them. Birchas Shamayim, a sefer that's quoted by, I think, the Panini Academy, says he was able to see those Malachim with his very eyes, and he knew if he could see the Malachim helping out the people, he knew that it must be an unbelievably high level. So he blessed them, and he said, just like that happened before, I hope that happens again. I hope that keeps happening. It should happen again and again and again and again. That's what he gave them as, as their close.
I've quoted this sefer before, Rabbeinu Yosef Nechemia. If you don't remember it, it's the Chassam Sofer's, I think it's his great-grandson's nephew. I forgot how it goes exactly. But Rabbeinu Yosef Nechemia says that there are people who merit Siyat Shmaya, and then there are people who are on a different level who do everything they're supposed to do on their own. Meaning, they don't have Siyat Shmaya, and yet they do it. Some people can do it only with Siyat Shmaya, other people don't like that. Moshe Benesu saw Kenasu, they did it with Siyat Shmaya. HaKadosh Baruch was helping them. He blessed them that next time, you don't need that. You won't need it. You'll do it on your own without that Siyat Shmaya. You'll be able to do it without getting anything else involved. Says the Rabbini Yosem Nechemia, that idea is, is that he blessed them that they should do it on their own right there. But the Chidah, you should know, says very differently. From the Chassam Sofer, from the Kliyakar, from the Rabbini Yosem Nechemia, from the Orachayim HaKadosh, he says they didn't do it properly. And Moshe Rabbeinu davened that even so the Shekhinah should rest upon their handiwork. That Vishchanti Vesochum was conditional. The Shekhinah will be there if they do it properly. And they didn't. So he says, says the Chidah, nonetheless, even though they don't deserve it, give them the bracha anyway. Give them the bracha that it should be there at that time. Now, the Ksav Silver talks about this and he says an unbelievable little line. I just want to quote this because this is so important for the world that we're in right now. In this world where we're davening by ourselves and no longer being able to go to Shul. In this world where crazy things are happening, things that nobody's ever seen. At a time like this, the Ksav Silver says, let's look at a Gemara Bracha Islam and Abbas. The Gemara Bracha Islam and Abbas says, the Hasidim used to wait an hour before davening. An hour. But the wording of the Gemara is interesting. They used to wait an hour before davening and then daven so that they would be able to have kavana. The wording is very strange. It says, Shoin shaw achas umispalalin kideshiyachavnu libam so that they have kavana. But shouldn't it be, says the Ksav Sofer, shouldn't it be the opposite? You should say, Hayu shoin shaw achas, they would wait an hour, kideshiyachavnu libam so that they would have kavana. And then they daven. Wouldn't that make more sense? If you were looking at this, wouldn't you say that that's the most obvious thing to say? So that's the Ksav Sofer's Kasha. Another Medrash. Everybody knows this line from the Gemara and Brachos toward the beginning. When a person goes into Shul, you should go in two doorways. Not just one doorway. Don't just walk in. Walk in two doorways. Four Amos and four Amos. Go eight Amos into the Shul and then daven. Why? You should knock on my doors, plural, doors. There are doors. You should go in two doorways in order to go daven. Okay, what in the world does that mean? What does that refer to, Essex Sav Sofer? What does that refer to? And a third question. What does it mean that Avoda Shabalev is tefillah? Now, Avoda Shabalev seems like it's the Avoda of the heart, spiritual. We're asking for something that's more Ruchni-based. What are we daven for? We daven for Re'evanyenu, Galenu, save us from our regular world. Rifa'enu, heal us, right? Hashivinu avinu l'sarzacha, let us do tshuva. Slachlanu avinu, etc. We're dealing with Barech Alenu Parnasa. We're davening for Olam Hazeh. That's not a Vodashab Alave. That's a Vodashab Aguf. Why do we call it a Vodashab Alave? Says Aksav Sofer. It sounds like we're just asking things for ourselves. Why do we do that? It must be, says Aksav Sofer, and this is an amazing answer. That when we ask for things for ourselves, when we do so, what we're really doing is begging HaKadosh Baruch Hu to let us live longer in a way that we could be Mekayim, His Mitzvahs, and do the right thing better in the future. 
even if we have to daven for mundane things in the world. It's not about the mundane things. Me asking for parnasa is not saying, God, I want to buy another fish tank, which I do, but that's not what I'm asking for. When I'm asking for more money, what I'm asking for when it comes to parnasa is the ability to live longer, so that I can do more, so that I can be an Eved Hashem for longer. That's what I'm really doing. It's for a higher purpose. I'm asking for something greater. That's what it means by two doorways. What we're asking you is not just daven at the doorway, which is your physical needs. Go two doorways in. Not just olam hazet, but olam haba. Go past that point. Don't just daven for one silly little thing. Daven for more. Have kavana. That's the concept behind it. The chasidim rishonim. When they would daven, they would first daven to reach that level of kavana, and then they would daven. Meaning, they would go ahead and show in Shah Achas, but they wouldn't just sit there for an hour like this, sitting there, waiting to think and think and think, and they're like, now we're ready to daven. That's not how you concentrate. You wait an hour by davening. They're showing Shoachas umispalalin. They would wait an hour and daven, and then mechaven in libam. That would cause them to have kavana. Then they could daven properly, which is why we do showing Shoachas. Everybody knows that, right? We do do showing Shoachas. We do psukit zimra. That's what Pesukit Zimra is. That's what Birchus Kriyashma is. It's to lead in. It's our Shehiyah that leads for us to Davin Shmona Esrei properly. It's the introduction that goes into the actual Tefillah. So it's worded correctly. We're showing Shah Achas by Mispalin, by Davening. We're saying Korbano, saying Pesukit Zimra, saying everything. And then Mechavnim Libam. Then we're able to have Kavana so we can Davin Shmona Esrei in the best possible way. Maybe that means, and that's the same thing over here. Here's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. He said, upon them. And when he got that, and when he filled himself, he pulled himself to that level, he said, he got to his regular tefillah. He was so achas. He said, first. When he had kavana properly, that's when he said, that's when he said the words, over here. It's an unreal line by the Ksav Sofer. I feel that that's such an important Ksav Sofer to say. Okay, we only have a little bit more. There's an Imre Noam over here. The Imre Noam is way beyond our normal level. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to explain it. I'm not going to go into what he says exactly. He talks about Menatzpach and what Menatzpach means, etc. There's an amazing, amazing line. But the Chsam Sofer in Drushos says something amazing. It's in Drushos, Chelek Beis, page 406. It says, whenever there's abundant bracha in the world, there are a ton of klipos that try to destroy us. You have bracha, you're going to have tumah. Every little bit of bracha that you see in this world, there is a crazy amount of tumah that comes in and tries to grab everything away from you. You have to push them away with both hands. Take them and just push. Try to get rid of them with everything you can do. And that can be done by saying the shir shal pagayim. The shir shal pagayim is sim mizmor tzadi aleph. Yoshev b'seser elyon. By saying that mizmor, you're able to push them off. Now, obviously, it's not a coincidence. Leads into, it's the end of Tzadi that leads into Yoshev B'Seser Elyon, the Shir Shal Pagayim that we do in Simen Tzadi Aleph, that we do in Mizmor Tzadi Aleph. Moshe Rabbeinu was doing over here, he was saying Noam to lead in to Mizmor Tzadi Aleph, to chase away the demons from what they had built. Because yes, there was crazy amounts of Kedusha. Yeah, Bnei Yisrael did everything L'Shem Shemaim. Yeah, Bnei Yisrael did everything perfectly. But with perfection comes Tumah. With perfection 
comes bad things. Bad things get brought into this world when such things happen. That's what happens. To get rid of those demons, Moshe said, And then, he created as well to knock them out completely. There's so much more to this Chsam Sofer than what meets the eye. The Chsam Sofer goes on and on about what the word Besaser means. Besaser is the gematria of 662, which is one more than Esther, which is beyond Hester Panim of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Gilei Panim, Akasri Kel, if those know the Malach that sits in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Akasri, Aleph, Chof, Saf, Resh, Yud, Aleph, Lamed, he's spelled entirely that way, that Malach is sitting in the base of Mikdash waiting for everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to do, that Malach can be called out with through 662, through Yosheb, and there's something amazing that goes on with this over here and what happens. That's the Chassam Sober's Vort as to what he means by Moshe Benu saying these lines. But then you have to wonder, so why do we do it Motzeh Shabbos? Why do we say Yosheb Beseser Elyon together with Vihi Noam on Motzeh Shabbos? What does that have to do with the Mishkan? Vihi Noam was created, as we just said, by Moshe Rabbeinu in order to say it on the Mishkan. So why do we say it on Motzeh Shabbos and then lead into Yosheb Beseser Elyon? How does it help us for the rest of the week? So there's a, a sefer called Otzer Plosa Torah, which came out a few years ago. And he says the following based on a tour, Orachayim Resh Tzadihe. So the tour says, the reason why we say it, it's a mizmor of bracha that everything we did in the past has the Shechina, said everything in the future should have the Shechina on it as well. It's a perfect bracha to say to ourselves for the upcoming week. When we're sitting there, we're like, what are we going to do with ourselves? Are we going to have bracha? Should we, our handiwork, we want our work to be blessed. We say it at Motzeh Shabbos. The minug is to end that mizmor, Tzadi Aleph, with the last line, Orech Yamim to say it twice. The minute is to say it twice. The Magen Avram brings from the Marami Rutenberg that the entire Mismor should therefore have 130 words, the Gematria of Kohanim. It's funny, by the way, because the word Kohanim is actually the Gematria of 125. And there are 125 words without the added Pusik of Orech Yom so it's weird, because it says 130, but that means you're counting the word Kohanim plus the five letters to become 130, when really it was perfect without the second Pusik. It was 125 and 125. So it's weird. But the Magen of Rome says, the Chashmonaim used to say this mismor. The, they said Yosheb Esesar Elyon seven times, and they repeated the last Pusik twice, and that's what helped them defeat the Greek army. He brings down that from the Medrash itself, from the Marami Rutenberg, from a Medrash, that that's what the Chashmonayim did. That they were able to do this sort of thing, and that's how they defeated everybody over there. But what in the world does that have to do with the Chashmonayim and the Greeks? We're going even further now. We say it at Motzeh Shabbos to bless our handiwork for the week. We say, to remind us of what the Chashmonayim did. But what in the world, what's the connection between all this? How do we connect all this over here? The understanding is the following. The Chashmonayim only fought this war because the Greeks, the Syrian Greeks, were trying to take away their Torah and mitzvot. They wouldn't have fought otherwise. The Yetzir Hara is trying to do the same to us. We don't have Torah, we don't have mitzvot during the week, because we have to work, and we're sitting there without the amount of Torah that we could have. We're sitting without the amount of mitzvot that we could have, because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is taking it away from us by being in this world, by being in Olamazah. We have to do what we have to do, so we have to go out there and work and do everything out there. So we're losing out on it. It's as if the Yetzir Hara is winning. And we, as our own Chashmonayim, have to fight that. We have to sit there. We have to be our own Kohanim and say, no, even though I'm working, I'm going to add on Kedusha to my life. I'm going to do Torah and Mitzvahs. I'm going to add it on even when I'm working, even when I'm doing something else. That's why they did it then, and that's why, look, guys, the Mishkan was created. It was set, not set up yet, but finished on Chof Hei Kislev. 
the Mishkan represented the handiwork that they were doing, L'Shem Shamayim, that when you work properly, when you go to work and you do it in the right way, you will have the Shechina upon your hands. Moshe Rabbeinu blessed them. Then not only for the Mishkan should that be true, every bit of work that you ever do, the Shechina should be upon your hands. And therefore he said, Behi Noam, and he said, this Tefillah of Yosheb is to get rid of Tumah. That feeling should be said every Motzei Shabbos, that you're able to do such a thing at any point. You can add on that bracha at any point. You can do this at any time. You can make this bracha happen and make it awesome and make it something that's just there for you. So that the work that you do, the mundane, silly little work that you do in your offices can be the most kadosh thing in the world. You bring it up. The Shechina rests on the Mishkan. The Shechina can rest on you. And therefore we say Motzei Shabbos. And therefore the Hashemunayim, who are only fighting said that they could learn Torah and do mitzvot. They were only fighting for that way. Said the same line. Because that's what's going to help them win the war. By showing that they're willing to do it. That's the connection between everything. That's why the Mishkan was finished on Kofi Kislev. That's the reason why we say it on Motzei Shabbos. That's the reason why they did it when they defeated the Greeks. That's the reason why this this. These two, Vihinoam and Yoshev Sitzelian, are the most important things you say on Motzei Shabbos. I know people want to run out of shul. <laughs> Can't do that anymore, right? But people want to run out of shul after Shimon Esrei is done. Because, well, what, do, what am I doing? Yoshev Sitzelian, Vihinoam, well, what am I doing? This is why. To make sure that everything is done properly. I'm going to end with one idea from the Dorosh David. Dorosh David says there are four different things to work on when it comes to tefillah. Four different things. He says, I, one has to do this, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing. He says this exact Rashi is repeated in Parsha Shemini. There's one little thing wrong. There's a Yehi Ratzon ben Vihi Noam in our Rashi. And that Rashi, when Moshe gave him, give him a, Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a brach on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, it was Vihi Noam and then the Yehi Ratzon. Why over here is Yehi Ratzon than Vihi Noam? And over there it's Vihi Noam and Yehi Ratzon. Now it's also two very different times. Here they're super happy. Everything was awesome. They were super happy the entire time. They were all sitting there like, this is amazing. Look at what we did. They were so, so happy with everything that was happening. Later on, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they were sad. The Shechina didn't come down. None of you died. Finally, the Shechina appeared. They were sad. They didn't know what went wrong. Here they're happy. There they're sad. Here he gives them a bracha of Yihiratzon de Mihinoam. There he gives them a bracha of Yihinoam Yihiratzon. What's Pshat? What's the Pshat in that? Because there are four things that you need to know in davening. There are four things that you must get involved with when it comes to your davening. And it's an amazing thing to think about. Says Dorish David, he says, the first is that even when you're guaranteed something, let's say you're guaranteed something awesome, you still have to daven for it. You always have to daven for it. And we said that already. They may have been guaranteed with Shachanti Pesocham that the Shekhinu was going to be there. Daven for it anyway. It doesn't matter. Daven for it anyway. Make sure that you continue to daven for it. Because who knows? Who knows what's going to be? Maybe something's going to stop. That's number one. And the second thing is, is that even when you start off davening and you see that it's happening for you, ask for it to continue. Ask for it to continue. You see that a Baruch Hu has granted your prayers? Great! Awesome! Can it be for later as well? Make sure this happens at all times. So listen to what he does. He says at first, he does, Yehi Ratzon, may it be God's will. What he's doing is he's saying, I know you said it's supposed to happen. Please, Hashem, let it happen. And when it happens, says, Let it be in the future the exact same way. That it should be that the Shechina always rests upon us. Those two Yisotas and Tefillah, even though you're promised, ask for it anyway. That's number one. And even when you get it, ask for it to happen again and again and again and again. Dav instead should lead that way and should keep going. On Rosh Chodesh Nisan, it was different. 
He saw the sadness. He saw that the Shekhinah had come down yet. He saw, even though his tefillah wasn't being answered, don't get upset. Davin again. You think your tefillahs aren't being answered? They are. You just don't know why. You don't know how. They're being answered. Just daven again. Keep davening until it happens. Says the Darash David, the way to understand it is, is that first he said, Bihi noam Hashem elokeinu aleinu. He said, allow it to happen. Even though I'm seeing it's not happening, still daven, 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 daven. And that's what the Bihi noam represents. And maybe it's true. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch wants you to do something different. Maybe he'll do something different for you in the future. Even if you're seeing it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, then say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yihiratzon. Then if it's not happening right now, in the future, please let it be answered. In the future, let it be that way. And that's what we're supposed to do. So again, the four lines are, number one, you daven, that please, even though I know it's happening, let me do it again anyway. Let everything happen. I'm sorry, I have to mute somebody. But let, number one, let everything happen in the best way possible. Let it be that way. Number two, the second thing is that I want it to be not only now, but for the future as well. When you see things aren't happening, you daven for it to happen anyway. Please, God, let it happen anyway and let it continue in the future. Let's be a bracha for everybody. That not only are we able to daven this week in a way that we've never davened before, we should continue to find a way to daven, to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I know you're not listening to our tefillahs to open up our shoals. I know you're not listening to our tefillahs that this sickness should go away. But daven anyway. It's Yehi Ratzon, the idea of Yehi Ratzon after Vihi Noam. We say Vihi Noam, daven anyway for it to happen. You think it's impossible. You think it's impossible? You think it's impossible. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just shut down the world in one day. You think he can't open up the world in one day? All he has to do is find one inoculation. That's the simplest thing in the world. Can you imagine HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows somebody and says, Oh, you know how you heal this? You just got to have a Macintosh apple. Just eat a Macintosh apple and everybody will be healed. And that's it. That's it. That's all you need. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do this in one second. In one second he could turn us around. So you say, he know him even though it looks like he's not davening. He's not listening to our feels. You say it anyway. And then you ask that if it doesn't, it's not now. We don't deserve it now. Then you hear that it should happen in the future. That's the world we're in right now where our feels are not being listened to for whatever reason. But that's it. I'm going to end with this idea. You know, when Miriam was standing watching Moshe Rabbeinu in, her, in the little teva right on the side of the Amsuf, she also thought her tefillahs weren't being answered. Bisya, the daughter of Paro, sees him and reaches out her arm and grabs Moshe Rabbeinu and brings him into the palace. What do you think Miriam was davening for at that moment? Please, Shem, don't let her see her. Don't let her see him. Don't let her see him. Please, Shem, don't let her take him. Don't let her take him. Don't let her take him. And then Bisya not only sees him, but takes him and brings him into the palace. God, why aren't you listening to my tefillos? But that was the best thing that could happen to Moshe. The best thing. If that didn't happen, who knows where Moshe Rabbeinu would have been? Who knows what would have happened to that baby? Right there, right there is where we understand that Kodesh Baruch could do anything. When it comes to the Geula, it could happen literally in one second. Literally in one second. Let's be Zohar to that this week. And if not this week, who knew? Yiratzon. Yiratzon Have a great Shabbos, everybody. Let's start with that.